Our scripture lesson for this morning is from the book of James. We will be in the book of James for the next probably month and a half, uh, working our way through the entire book. This is going to be James 1, 19 to 27, as soon as I am able to get it in my Bible. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all mortal filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives it, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious Yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So when I was first writing this sermon... A news article caught my attention. During the final days of the Brexit negotiations, this was a while ago if you don't remember, the UK was looking to leave the European Union. Uh, Brexit being a combination of the words Britain and exit. The, the border from Britain into France ended up being closed. The, they were negotiating how they would possibly handle things moving between the countries if Britain was no longer part of the European Union. This caused more than a thousand semi-trucks to be stuck on an expressway near the English city of Kent, unable to do anything until negotiations had been completed and the border reopened. In response to this, a local Sikh temple mobilized and made 800 meals the first day and over 1,000 the second to ensure that the drivers waiting on the expressway were fed while they waited. When I think about our focus scripture for today, that's the kind of thing I think about. The James writing this book is believed to have been Jesus' brother. And given what we can tell from the writing, it's likely he was around Jerusalem at the time that he was writing it. It's also important to note that this is not an epistle. This is not a letter like Paul is doing. Instead, the style leads us to believe that it was written as a sermon, but a particular type of sermon that was common among early Christian churches. A long sermon written out longhand and then sent to all of the various churches one by one in the region. It's important because it gives us context. The Jewish Christians in this, he had Jerusalem in mind, but he considered this lesson universal enough that he copied it down 
and it spread throughout the Christian world. In fact, the reason we have this, the reason we have many of these epistles are from the smaller, lesser-known early Christian churches. The ones around Jerusalem and Corinth and Thessalonica, they were destroyed pretty early on during the, uh, during the battle against the Christians. However, the smaller ones tended to survive. And so some of those had kept the letters that they had been sent. And that's why we have some of the letters of Paul, and particularly why we have this book of James that we have today. So James writes this long sermon. It covers a lot of topics. We're going to be spending quite a bit of time going through the topics one by one, because there is no way I can cover all of James in one sermon and give it any sort of a good coverage. But James begins this sermon with a few simple and foundational elements, uh, elements we didn't read before we started. Um, he wanted to make sure that everyone was on the same page before he started going into the important topics. He starts by encouraging them to have faith in the face of trials. See, he knew how hard it was to be a Christian in this Roman-occupied world. He tells them to seek wisdom from God as it's prayer that will be answered. But the trick, he says is asking in faith. He then asks them to have right priorities regarding money, something we'll come back to later in the sermon. He says it differently than we usually hear it, however, pointing out that those who busy themselves in this life will wither and die, not having worked towards the next life. He then turns us around to talk about trial and temptation, that we are blessed who work not for our own comfort, but for the purposes of the Lord. As though building to this high point, he gets from there to the verse we're focusing on this week. Being both hearers and doers of the word. I listed these prior topics because I believe you can boil each one of them down into a disconnect between hearing, understanding, and truly believing and acting upon the word of God. Now I want to pause here with a connection I just made between belief and doing. I'm talking about something more than that weak, I believe, feeling or an admittance to just about anything. I'm not talking about the catechism prayers that we've prayed saying, I believe in God the Father. I'm talking about a wholehearted belief. A belief that cannot help but leave you totally and completely changed. The kind of belief that makes you want to reevaluate how you're living your entire life. The kind of belief that makes people run off to monasteries, devote their life to service, or give so generously that it seems like foolishness to others. See, I wrote this sermon, I wrote much of this sermon a year ago, but this last week has been poignant. This last week we lost not one but two incredible luminaries in this world in very different ways. We lost the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who we read and worked through a book of his earlier, this, earlier in our time together. A man who led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, who helped bring together a country that had been divided by hate for so long. But we also lost a woman who brought us together through laughter and wisdom in Betty White. A woman who at 99 years old, we all said it's too soon for her to go. I believe both of them, 
fulfill this idea that I'm talking about, this kind of belief in something better that causes people to do crazy things. Because what kind of belief can lead a South African black man to run a commission on reconciliation to help deal with the sins of South African white men that were committed on people who looked and sounded like him? And what kind of belief in the power of humanity could have led Betty White in her early 30s when segregation was still the rule of the land to allow an African-American performer onto her variety show, giving him time to play music. And when the, Southern, uh, when the Southern company said, if you keep doing that, we're gonna cancel your show, she not only said, you can go ahead and do that, but in her next few shows, she gave him more time on screen. I'll say this. If your understanding of what Jesus means for us and asks of us doesn't make you want to do things that the world would consider unusual, crazy even, then I really don't know what you're believing because it's not the words of Christ. See, James is calling out the church, literally calling them out for deceiving themselves, saying that they understand the word of God, that they believe the word of God, when they aren't showing actions that are in line with that belief. What he's saying, and I don't want you to miss this, is that if you think a Christian can sit on church, at church on Sunday and live Monday through Saturday as if the word of God is just something that sits on a shelf in your house, you really don't know what a Christian looks like. We're not called to be weekly pew warmers, running a few programs here and there to financially help people who are doing the work. We are called to be the ones doing the work. We're called to be the ones in the world. Church is not a place for you to be fed and fed and fed and fed, growing fat on the word of God, but forgetting what is asked of you before Monday comes around. It's a place to mobilize an army that is called to rebuild the world into the image of Christ. To feed, to heal, to free the oppressed, to love the neglected, to lift up the downtrodden, to help the impoverished, to stand against systems that keep people in poverty, that prevent equal access to health care, that discriminate on the basis of sex or skin color or really anything else. See, Church, I loved the news about the Sikhs making food for the stranded semi-drivers, but it also sort of troubled me. Because Sikhs make up 0.7% of the population of the United Kingdom. Christians make up 53.6% of that country. If Christians were doing as we have been commanded, being self-sacrificial in our service and our giving, stories of this magnitude would be an everyday occurrence. We would have so many of them in our news that we would grow tired of reading about huge moves of charity and action because they're commonplace. These stories would be coming out of every small church because my friends, that Sikh temple probably had as many people as we have. Heck, 
if we as Christians, not calling out you, church, but the church in general, if we as Christians mobilized half as well as these people we read about, there would not be one hungry or cold American today. There just wouldn't be. See, many conservatives will complain about tax dollars being used for things like food stamps, cash assistance, stuff like that. Well, my friends, we wouldn't need any of those if the church was doing what we were called to do. If we were acting as Christ's hands and feet, doing the things Christ did in this world, there would be no need for a welfare safety net. The Christian safety net would be all that anyone would ever need. If Christianity wants to survive in a new millennium, one that doesn't view Christianity or church attendance as being the default, it needs to start taking the lessons of Christ seriously. Nobody has anything but respect for Christ. There's a book I read a number of years ago. It was by a former Episcopal priest named Mark Thompson. Mark Townsend. Sorry, Mark Thompson. He's a UMC pastor here in Michigan. Uh, Mark Townsend. Um, and he wrote a book called Jesus Through Pagan Eyes. And he interviewed a whole bunch of people who not only profess not to be Christian, but profess to be some manner of pagan. And there's one thing that that book had in common. Everyone loved Jesus. There wasn't one person in that book that said that Jesus was a bad person. That Jesus was anything but an exemplary picture of what humanity could maybe be. Jesus is really easy to love. If we want the church to survive into a new millennium, we need to start being a little bit more like that Jesus that everyone loves. See, too often we walk around wearing crosses or talking about being Christian and in many ways, we think that that's enough. We've done our part. We've shown people that, that we love Christ. But if I walked in here wearing a Lakers jersey, that would not make me an NBA player. Nashville, if you want this church to survive, we need to start thinking about what we mean when we say we're Christian. See, I told you a couple weeks ago that I did a Google search in this area. I found a significant number of churches in a very short space around Nashville. People are surrounded by congregations that bear the name of Christ. What they want to see is love, selflessness, service, community-mindedness. What they want to see coming out of your everyday church is the kind of love and acceptance that Christ showed in every word spoken, in every action done. They want to see church spending more time on their community than in fellowship amongst themselves. I have another story here. I told you a while back that when I first came back to uh, 
being in the church when I first, after my divorce, started going to church again, I went to 242, a large mega church in this state. I didn't go there because I saw a megachurch on the side of the road and thought, I'm going to do that. I went there because years before, probably five years before, if I'm remembering correctly, I was in line on a Black Friday morning, and it was bitter, bitter cold, and I was waiting in line for a circuit city to give you an idea of how long ago this was. And up came a van, and they started giving everyone free hot chocolate just walking down the line, giving it to anyone who wanted it. But it wasn't just like portable cups of hot chocolate and something like what I'm carrying right now, but they would put it inside of a mug. They'd put like this kind of cup inside of the mug. And the mug was a 242 mug. And when people asked them why they were doing it, they were saying, you're cold. You're waiting out here. We thought that this might be something that you'd appreciate. When I moved back to my parents' house, and I realized I needed to go back to the church, I thought about that mug. I thought about a church that went out of its way to serve people who were waiting in line at a circuit city in the cold. They didn't make us sit and listen to some explanation of the gospel. They didn't sit and tell us that we needed to go to church. All they did was loved us. All they did was say, hey, it's cold. Maybe this can help you stay warm for a little bit longer. And that's what drew me to that church. As someone who had just been hurt, as somebody who realized that the church was the place I needed to go, the church that I wanted to go to was the one that I remembered loving me when I had no interest in going to it. Our definition of church does not need to become something new. We need to recover the definition of church that's existed since before it was legal to be a church. So here's my question. Do you actually wanna do what it'll take to survive in this new world? Half measures and tortoise slow transitions make us all more comfortable. Change is hard, but ultimately they don't buy us anything. See, at minimum, we need to do a few things. We would need to develop a plan for direct community action, meeting needs in our community and showing that Nashville UMC is actively walking in the footsteps of Christ, showing our neighbors who live around us, people who we all know, there's a lot of poverty in the inside of Nashville. There's a lot of need. And there's a lot of these neighbors who grew up in this area and don't currently go to a church. And we all know that some of it is because they're sitting there saying, what has the church ever done for me? we would need to look into a children's ministry. Because if we want families, we need to provide a way for parents to do what you're doing right now and sit and be engaged and listen without having to worry about their children. Most families will choose a church 
that reflects less of what they care about, but cares for their children if they have to. And then finally, once those two things are done, we find a way to let everyone know. We find a way to let people know that we're here and that we care and that we love them and that we're stepping up our game in this community. That would give a new chance to Nashville UMC. That would be a new year for Nashville UMC. And that's something that we can do. We're not talking about major infrastructure stuff. We're not talking about changing dramatically the way we do worship. We're not talking about shifting everything. We're talking about getting outside of these walls and welcoming people in two things that we are most called to do. See, I encourage you to prayerfully consider our future and what's important to you. 2022 is a new chance. We're entering into a world that will look different than we're used to. We've all lived through two years of pandemic at this point. We know that what's gonna come out of this is not gonna be the same as what came into it. You don't have two years of a reality and then go back to something exactly like what you had before. We had two years where many churches used this as an opportunity to sit back Now we have a chance to reignite, to move forward, to show a community we love them, a community that probably needs us more now than it did before the pandemic. Christ today is holding his hand to you and inviting you to join him in fulfilling our great commission, in meeting the needs around us, in fighting against the systems that harm and oppress, in proving to the world that Christianity has not forgotten who Christ is. So my question for you is simply this. Will you be hearers and doers of the, world to, of the word today? Let's pray. God, we love you. We love you and everything you stand for. We love every word that came out of your mouth. And we admit we suck at being you. So we pray today that you will help guide us. Help us to live into the Christian that is in not our name, but our purpose. That's in our DNA. Help us to live into who we are in you, who we can be in you this day and all days. Grant us wisdom. Help us to see the world around us more clearly so we may step out in faith and be what our community needs today. Help 2022 to be a fresh start for all of us. More than that, help it to be a fresh start for us together. 
so that we might be what our community needs. And you promise us that if we do that, we'll have what we need. Be with us, we pray. Amen.